Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. How exciting! I feel like this month has been one of the most exciting ones in the life of Lived, and, and you know we are talking so much about where we're going as a church, what is happening, and and just this week itself coming up tomorrow, we are starting our first community engagement event project as a church. We will be uh, doing O Week with Red Frogs at Curtin, and uh, we are starting nice and early through the whole week. We are going to be chalking up those uh, community service hours. You're going to make a dent on the thousand hours that we are committed to doing. And we've got an amazing team of people. We gathered this morning. We did a briefing. And I think we're so pumped to be able to do something as a church. And, and, and the thing is that you can, be, you can still be a part of that. Um, Curtin is, is expecting 15,000 students over the course of this week. That's bigger than like a country town. Bigger than Ben-Hur. <laughs> Probably. Ben here was one person. 15,000 people is a lot bigger. And, and, and it's such a privilege to bring hope, to bring life. Uh, in, a, in a way, we are going to be serving as chaplains for the students for the first week. And, and many of them will be actually moving here from overseas or maybe from country towns or relocating. And, and so this can be a very scary, can be a very new experience. And we want to provide a friendly face. We want to bring an atmosphere uh, uh, around them. And so you can still be a part of that if you've got availability especially on Thursday I believe we are still looking for one more team member but if not you can still pray can I just ask that that if this church is your church if this mission is your mission that you spend two minutes every morning and just pray for the team that is going out uh, and, and pray for opportunities to share the gospel, whether it's just through our actions or whether it can actually be through our words as well. They'll be even better. Um, but we are there to serve and we are praying that God opens doors for us to preach the good news in whatever way that we can. So you can pray. Please, church, pray because prayer moves mountains, yeah? And so we are going to be moving a few massive mountains. Everest is going to be gone by the end of the week. We are believing for that, and it's going to be fantastic. Well, you know, as much as what we do as a church is so important, something that I've learned on my journey is that more than what I do is who I be that is equally important. I know that doesn't make any grammatical sense. We've got a few teachers here who are hating on me right now. But who I am is just a bit lame, but who I be just has a little bit more ring to it. I'm just trying to slide into all like Grammy songs and who I be just sounds a bit more like a rap that I can, I'll be performing, no, I won't be performing next month. I'd really try rapping, but I can't wrap my tongue around half the stuff. But, but if you petition Pastor Beck, she actually is a closet rapper. So you can actually petition her. She might become little, I don't know, what, what are rap names? Little G. Homie G. Um, but I don't know where I was going with that. But who I be is important. Who we be as a church is so important. What I mean by that is that everything that we do comes from a why, that comes from a place where we know who we are. When I know my identity, I know what I do and what I don't do. For example, I'm a male. That means I use the male toilet. 
It's pretty standard stuff. I don't go to the female toilet. I say no to that because that is not who I am. But more importantly than that, some of you are teachers, business people, and you do the work of a teacher or a business person or a parent because that is part of your identity. You have a why behind it. And therefore, as a church, it is also important that we not just know what we do, which we are going to be doing some amazing stuff this year, but we have to know who we are, who we be, in order that we can do those things well, that we can keep doing those things, and we can uh, have that longevity we can have that sense that we are an authentic community. We're not just trying to be someone else, we are ourselves. And so this morning, I really am uh, excited about this message as I was preparing it, and I'll be talking about the lived family, being part of the lived family. And family is a value of this church. It's something that we talk about very often. And if you look to your left and to your right, what you see is a crazy, messy, Good-looking, gorgeous, adorable, warm, funny, growing. Did I mention messy? Multicultural, multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-generational bunch of people. And we call this family. But the truth is that there are so many ways of doing family, isn't it? Like, uh, there's my family, and then there's Big's family, and even with that, there were family cultures that we came from, and, and it's different, and we love talking about it and comparing it and seeing how that works, but we need to know the culture of this family, especially if you want to be or are a part of this family. You, know, you need to know what that means and what it actually, uh, what we stand for, and that's what I'll be talking about this morning. And, one, and then that's actually one of the things that uh, I really love. We, we run something called Ground Floor, which is uh, a bit of uh, introduction to our church family and, 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 and what we do, who we are, our history. And, and as part of Ground Floor, we, we ask for feedback on why people keep coming to Lift Church. And without fail, without fail, most people will say it's because they have experienced, they have felt like they belong, like family welcomed them there was a warmth there was and, and so that's something that we already have this morning's message is not a rev up because you're doing it wrong this morning is a, an unpacking of the secret source so that we will be able to carry on family for the rest of our lives i know most of you are like trying to find yourselves in that photo now it's like you bunch of kids it was one of those moments where as a parent, you're like, why did I do that? <laughs> but family is important, and so let's unpack it. And a key reason why we've, we've chosen and we've sensed that family is so important to us is because Jesus commands it. Thank you, Maya. And, uh, uh, you know, Jesus actually tells us that it's so important that we have love for one another. In Mark chapter 12, uh, Jesus was teaching someone about the, the, the most important laws of the Bible, the principles that we live by. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, that's so important. We are a Christian church. We are a Christian family. We know that the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, is number one. But right next to that, Jesus says in Mark 12, 31, the second most important commandment is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. A little bit later, in John chapter 13, we read Jesus saying in verses 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you that you 
love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, I used to think that as a Christian, how people will know that I'm a Christian is if I memorize enough verses. If I know how to pray lengthy prayers, if I can bring miracles and signs and wonders wherever I go, and I've got this purity around me, like I've never done anything wrong, then people will know I'm a Christian. But you know, Jesus never said that that's what a Christian looks like. He said that Christians are characterized by their love for one another. And if we understand that as a Christian family, the most important thing is that we learn how to love one another well. Then people, when they see that, they go, there's something different about that place. Those people who genuinely care for one another. That's absolutely crazy. They, there's something, they, they, they come in and they smell and there's something different. And it's not just because kids have been running around this room for the last week. It's because they can smell that there's a genuine love and a care for one another. You know that psychology, I love psychology. I used to study psychology. I am not a psychologist. Uh, but when I studied it, one of the interesting things about our basic human needs, one of our basic human needs is this thing called belongingness. It's so important that Sykes actually made up a word, belongingness. We all have a basic human instinct to find belonging. Each and every single one of us. And quite often, many people go after things, search for things in order to find a place, a group of people that will cause them to feel like they belong. It is, it is something that spurs us on. And that's why family is so important because family is a place where belongingness is fulfilled. And what belonging is, there are two ways to see belonging. The first of this is possession. This is my Bible. It belongs to me. That's one way of belonging. But the need that God has created us with is not a possession belonging, but is an acceptance belonging. Uh, it's, it, this, is, this is how they define it. That look, uh, as, as humans, we are looking for acceptance as a natural part. That's actually what the Wikipedia says. It says that belonging, a psychological need for belonging, is looking for acceptance as a natural part. If you look at your life, you would be able to point out times that you did things that, so that you would feel accepted as a natural part of a group. You would have said certain things, cracks and jokes, wore certain clothes in order that you would find acceptance as a natural part. Belonging is a massive driver in our lives, is a massive instinctual part of our lives. And, and this is the thing that, that I was thinking about. Human beings desire to be chosen. We don't want someone to need to love us. We don't want someone to feel obligated to love us. We want someone to want to love us. A couple of weeks ago, Beck and I watched a movie called Lion. Highly recommend it. Bring tissues along. I didn't need it, but Beck certainly did. And, um, <laughs> And it's basically about a young Indian boy. His name is Saru, and, and that's him over there. 
And that was his, I'll tell you about him in a moment, but he was separated from his family from a very young age, about five years old, and he uh, got whisked across uh, the country of India, and he ends up in an orphanage. And while he's in the orphanage, Nicole Kidman and her husband, as played in the movie, they adopt Saru and take him to Australia, good old Australia. Um, and, and, and he grows up, and they adopt another boy the year after. And the sad thing about uh, that part of the story is that uh, this adopted brother actually suffers from autism, which makes the family dynamic a little bit difficult. But this is the family that Saru grows up in. But when he hits the age of about 25, uh, he starts to have a longing and a desire to know where he comes from, where he fits. And at that time, Google Earth had just launched. So you know that this was a little while ago. Um, and, and a friend recommended, why don't you use Google Earth to try to trek back to see if you can find the village that you came from. And maybe that's some way that you can find out where, uh, where, where you fit in this world. And so Saru goes on this search to find belonging, to find his place. And, and it actually wrecks his life. He actually quits his job. He actually pushes relationships away because he doesn't know where he fits. He doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. He doesn't know where he comes from. And so he doesn't know where he's meant to be going. And, and his life is crumbling and breaking down. And his mom could see that. And they had a conversation one day. And this was when Saru was really at the bottom, at the pit of, of this search. And he was just uh, about to give up, about to think that he doesn't have a place in this world. And, and, and he apologizes to his mom in, in a heartbreaking scene where he tells his mom, Mom, I'm so sorry because you, you, you deserve so much more than me and my brother. You deserve so much more. We brought you so much pain. We brought you so much heartbreak. You deserve so much more. If only, if only you could have children, then you wouldn't need to have us. He, he said this to his mom, and, and, and you could see that she was heartbroken, and she turns to him and she said, Saru, I've always been able to have children. It, it wasn't that I couldn't have children, but I chose to adopt you. I chose to adopt your brother. I've always chosen to have you in my life. I've chosen the pain. I've chosen the ups and the downs. I've chosen to have you in my life. I think that's an ache that each and every one of us have, that someone would choose us. That's why we go from relationship to relationship. We go from friend to friend. We go from romantic place to search out for a person that would say, I choose you. And the truth is that God has chosen you. I love that this whole idea of family is not just something that we came up with, that God himself desired to have us as part of family. Galatians 4, I'm going to just read uh, a little bit of it, and it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we can actually be part of 
family. We are part of a massive family. And that's why for Lift Church, it's so important that we represent that family. We represent the heart of God, that God chose each and every person. You were not a plan B for God, but God knew you before you were born. And He chose to have you as part of His family. He chose to pay the price, which was Jesus on the cross, so that you would be in a place where you could belong. No more payment required. No more hoops to jump through. You are accepted as a natural part of God's family. And that is why this is so important that we as a church, we carry that out. There are people in the world, uh, that there are people that come here and, and one of the things that they say is that I'm so scared of going to a church because I think that they're going to judge me. I think that they're going to point out everything that is wrong with me. They're going to tell me that I need to change. If not, I don't belong. And I'm so scared of being seen for who I am. We have people in this church, maybe you sitting right here right now with the mask over your face because you are scared to let people see you for who you are. But let me tell you that there is no way to live. That sense of belonging can never hit home until you understand that you have already been accepted first by Christ, then us as a church, we need to play our part to make sure that when people walk in here, they feel accepted. Someone put this forward to me uh, a little while ago and he said, there are two ways that people relate to other people. And the first is to have a here I am attitude. The here I am attitude is basically um, that if you are meeting someone, that other person has to come to you. Here I am. That person will have to jump through all the hoops, all the walls, all the barriers. They have to prove themselves before they're allowed into the inner sanctum. And the truth is that is probably a decent way to, to carry out your life because we don't know what people have done. We don't know their backgrounds. And so we develop a here I am attitude. And the truth is, most people walking into this church for the first time will carry a here I am attitude. And that is fine. We understand that we might look a little bit weird. It's like, since when did so many different ethnicities sit together? You know when you go to a food court and you see a, group, a table of people and it's like there are different colored skin people? Most likely they're, they're Christians. It's like some small group going out for dinner or lunch together. Have you ever played that game? It's like, yeah, Christians, Christians. Because the world doesn't get this. We, we, we like multiculturalism, but we don't. Um, but anyway, sorry, side note. But, but people come in and they don't know what to expect. And, and they think that there are going to be hoops that they're going to have to jump through. And so before they are made to jump through hoops, they tell people, you jump through my hoops first. Imagine if the church reacted in the same way. We all carry a here I am attitude. These are my walls and this is my baggage and this is all the stuff that you need to get past. We're never going to have relationships that last. We're never going to have a place where we belong. And so why not we try our best to have a there you are attitude. Imagine if... We allow people to have a here I am attitude because they need it. They don't know what this is all about. But you've experienced love. You've experienced acceptance here. And if you carry a there you are attitude, what does that look like? It looks like when someone comes in and they look a little bit lost. They look like they don't really know what this is all about. But someone comes up to them and there's a smile on their face. And it's like, we have been expecting you. Don't say that. You'll freak them out. <laughs> but, but we've been expecting you. 
We were ready for you. We've got a little gift to say, welcome. This is who we are. I'm not expecting you to know how this place runs, but we have been expecting you, and I'm making myself available to be here for you. It's a there you are attitude. I've been looking for you. And the truth is that God is looking. God is looking out for each person that is walking through that door this morning, next week, the week after. He knows that there are people who need love. There are people who need salvation. There are people who need to find family. And we need to be that family that says, there you are. We've been praying for you. We do prayer meeting at 9.30 in the morning and we are like, God, we want to see people uh, find Christ this morning. We want to see salvation. And then a person walks in and we're like, no, we don't do that. But I'm telling you what it looks like for, for some people. And, and, and why don't we try having a there you are attitude? Live Church family looks like a place where people can belong. It's a place where people can belong before they believe. It's a place that they can belong before they start to contribute. It's a place that they can find acceptance as a natural part of our family. So that's the first thing. I actually want to tell a quick story about that. In my previous church, in my previous church, um, there was actually a man who was adopted as a child, and uh, I, I, I was preaching about adoption. Adoption is a, is, a, is a massive thing for me in terms of what Christ has done for me, and I was preaching about the idea that God has adopted us, and he came up to me after, and he said, Nate, thank you for representing adoption so well. And that really impacted me because like something that I'm still unpacking and, and learning about what God has done for me. But adoption is so key. If you don't know what it's like, what, what it means that God loves you, understand that He adopted you. Unpack what that looks like and what He had to do to make that happen uh, about adoption. And, and, and He told me this story. It's, it's, it's funny, but it's also really sad. Uh, I hope that you can see uh, what I'm trying to say through the story. But, but He was talking about how when He was growing up, He had been adopted and... and, and you know, kids can be a little bit cruel sometimes. They don't really have a filter. And they were playing in the playground, and, and kids were teasing him. They were saying, your parents didn't want you. Your parents didn't want you. So he runs home crying, and he was really upset. And his parents actually said, next time someone tells you that your parents didn't want you, you tell them, yeah, but now my parents chose me. Your parents had no choice. How cool is that? Yeah. And so it tells those kids that are being like, your parents have no choice. They have to love you. They might not like you, but they have to. And my parents chose me. That's the kind of attitude that we get to have in this world. I know people are, are nasty sometimes. And your workplace, you might not find yourself loved all the time. But you know what? God chose you. That's the most important. And I hope that as a family, we can represent that well. The second thing that we... Um, uh, have as part of this idea of family is a perspective that we are on a journey, a mission together. See, there's this really interesting encounter in Jesus' life and is recorded in Mark chapter 3, verse 31 to 35. I'll read it to you. And it says, And Jesus' mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, being Jesus, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at all those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers brothers for whoever does the will of God he is my brother and sister and mother you know this is one of those moments where you're like Jesus that seems really strange 
And in, in the culture, in the context of him saying this, it's massive. Because that culture is all about family. It's all about uh, uh, your blood relations and watching out for one another. What he said was extremely disrespectful. But when you look across Jesus' life, he always tells us to respect our parents. He always tells us to honor our parents. This is not normal for Jesus to say that. And we need to understand why Jesus said it at this time to understand what he was trying to say. And this is what happened just a few verses before that. Uh, it says this in Mark 3, 20 to 21. And then he went home, Jesus. And the, so Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that they, they being Jesus and the disciples, could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Can you imagine telling the Son of God, Jesus Christ, you don't know what you're doing. A bit strange. Jesus always knew what he was doing. He lived the most spirit-led, deliberate life. But here in this moment, his blood family could not understand what he was doing, and they sought to stop him. They, saw, they, they, they wanted to stop him from being able to live out God's will on his life. And it's because of that that they visited him. It wasn't one of those like, hey, son's preaching today. Let's go listen to him. It was one of those like, Jesus is here. We need to take this opportunity to stop him because he is out of his mind. And so it was in that kind of a context that Jesus turned around at the people that he was preaching to. And he said that if you do the will of God, you are my family. And this is what I learned through this, that God's family... God's big, massive, adopted family is one that lives on mission together. It's not one that just simply has good intentions. It's not just simply one uh, that, 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 that thinks that like, like his parent, like his mother and his brothers did and wanted to do good, but they actually understand that, 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 that there's a mission of God being carried out. Can you imagine if all of us really try to understand the will of God for each and every one of us. And we start to really push each other into the things that God has got for us. What this church is going to look like. See, the thing about our culture is that our culture has nurtured something that I've... Uh, it's a friend who coined this, and she calls it the hero mindset. See, in our young generation uh, that, that's gone around, there is an, an interesting phenomenon that a lot of young people, what they like doing is that they will volunteer for different organizations, but they will volunteer for short-term things. It's like maybe a youth camp. Let's take a youth camp as an example. Another organization is, is running a camp, and, and I love those organizations for putting out things that can help people. And, and what happens is that they need volunteers to run it, and so they will put a call out for volunteers, and these people will come in. Now, how do you think that organization would treat those volunteers? Like they are heroes. Because this camp would not happen if those 30 volunteers, 20 volunteers, had not come along, had given up their time and their resource. And because it's only one week, you barely get to know each other. So every interaction is like, oh, Master, you are the best person in the world. Thank you so much. Oh, man, you, you made this camp happen. You made this camp happen. And, and that one week in that artificial environment, all the kids are like, oh, Master, you're like, you're like, 
the daughter of God. You showed me God this week. You, you change my life. We'll be friends for the rest of our life. What's going on is that this young person is having the biggest ego stroke of their life. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that they look for the next place to get that ego stroke. And then they go on to the next place and they find all these places. But something that we are finding in the world today is that young people don't know how to commit long-term to a real life. I'm not trying to bag young people out. I thank you for your heart to serve. I thank you for your heart to volunteer and to make a difference. But this is how difference is made. When you commit, when you stay, when the camp is over, and let me put it this way, for some young people, the crap really hits the fan. They go home to homes of abuse. They go home to places of neglect, to schools where they're being bullied. And that's when they need someone. That's when a church family really starts to make a difference because we're committed to this, not just to the artificial one-week environment where you had the time of your life, but when you are bottom at the bottom in the pit, drowning, the family is still there. But more than that as well, for you as a person, when people start to get to know you, they start to see there's crap in your life. How many people have come here in a bad attitude on a Sunday morning trying to set up? I've seen it. I've had it. And you don't get it out when you're in family. You just have to deal with it. You have to deal with my mess. <laughs> but at the same time, being family means that you get to tell me when I'm doing things wrong. No, and I, I, I see a counselor once a month to debrief and to talk through decisions that I'm making and things that are weighing on my mind. And just this last time, it was like three weeks ago, he told me that I didn't know how to apologize. I'm 30 years old and I don't know how to apologize. How crazy is that? I'm a work in progress. But I'm in a family that is on mission with me together. And they know that where I'm going is more important than where I've been. And they also don't have any problem with telling me, Nate, you still need to grow up. You still have got stuff in you that's immature. You see, when you go somewhere for one week, that person doesn't know anything about you. But when you start doing life together, when you start rubbing shoulders and trying to, to push forward and what God has called you together, let me tell you, we're going to know the shadow parts of your life. We're going to know the things in you that is not that great. And because we love you and because the mission and the call of God on your life is massive and we want you to get there, we are going to help you grow up. We're going to tell you that that stuff shouldn't stay. We're going to keep pushing one another on. But you see what happens then is that the, the kingdom of God doesn't expand because of heroes. The kingdom of God expands because there are servants, because there are people that say there's a call of God on my life and that is to serve others. And so I'm going to serve others the best that I can. And if people ask me what the organization of the church is, if you want to be a leader in this church, you learn how to serve. You learn how to get down in your knees you learn how to do the difficult messy dirty stuff because that's what leadership is like but the kingdom of God is so upside down that Jesus says that the servant will become first but the master in this world is going to become last when the kingdom of heaven comes so that is the kind of perspective that we have that we are on mission together Jesus said that he was going to gather around him a family of people that understood mission that understood the journey that he was on that wasn't going to try to take him away from the call of God no matter how good their good intentions were 
Have you got a people? Have you got a group? Have you got a family that are around you that actually understand that there's something bigger in your life that you're trying to go for? Have you got people around you that are saying, come on, man, God's called you to that stuff. Why are you giving up now? Why are you giving up? Come on, keep going. Keep going. You know, the attitude that you have, that issue that you have, maybe it's punctuality, maybe it's, it's, it's honesty, maybe it's purity, whatever it is. In this family, we're going to deal with it. You still have an out if you're not part of family yet. But let me tell you, no other way are you going to find fulfillment in your life. If you belong, that means you're going to work on stuff as well. We're not going to close our eye to you because that means that we're not really accepting you. We're just accepting some image, some mask, some role that you're trying to play. But if I accept you as a real person, and if you accept me as a real person, we all know that we've got gear to work through, but we're going to work through it together. See, I got the opportunity to catch up with someone this week, and it really did my heart good. This person has just joined our crew, starting to set up and, um, and, and help out and, and serve on a Sunday morning. And, and it's really cool. We were talking about uh, his experience, and he was saying that night, and I, I come in and I set up chairs and I was straightening them up. Yes, those chairs don't just pop up. <laughs> Newsflash. We do it. Someone comes early for you to have a nice comfy seat. Not comfy, but a seat that is straight, that is not facing the toilet. It's not just outside. It's, it's, it's facing the right direction. Someone does it. It's amazing. And he was saying that he came and he was straightening up the chairs and he had this realization. He had this realization that someone was going to come in this morning and that person was going to come in and maybe this person has got something going on in their life where they need to be encouraged. Maybe they don't know God. Maybe there's really difficult circumstances that are taking place in their life. And that person could sit in this seat that I'm straightening. And that person could encounter God. And I get to be a part of it. And I, I get emotional thinking about what the church could look like if we understood that I'm not too big. I'm not too smart, I'm not too intelligent, I'm not too above all of that stuff. Because there's a mission that God has got me on. And I'm willing to do what it takes. I love that for him, it was like, and he was telling me, he's like, he hasn't always been locked into a church for all his life. And, and doing this reminds him and is the happiest that he's been since he was 17. And I, I love that. It, it, it tells me, because sometimes I feel bad, I'm saying like, come on, get off your butt, start serving. A couple of weeks ago, Beck told me that I was a bit mean about it, so I'm sorry about that, but now I don't feel so sorry because I'm telling you, you get to be a part of something bigger. It's not just a family that is sitting around doing nothing. We're going places. And you have to stay on mission with us to be a part of family, to understand, ask questions. If you've been here for longer than three months, six months, you should be pouring back in the community because family means that we are on mission together. If you're still dealing with stuff, that's fine. This is not a get out because we still accept you. But understand that we're going to prod you every now and then. It's like, hey, God's got something on your life. Why are you being selfish? We don't do selfish here still love you 
will keep poking till you burst like a pimple. <laughs> All the stuff comes out of your life. And then we will love you in the wholeness. And then we'll find the next pimple. <laughs> this is life, guys. This is life, isn't it? Bible never told us that family is a place where we are comfortable and we sit down and we do nothing. The Bible shows me clearly. I've been made with a desire to belong. But I've also been made to belong to a group of people that are going somewhere and doing something with their life. They're just trying to see God's will come to pass in our day and age. That's what I'm passionate about. When we talk about family, it's not just about an insider language. It's not just about who we get comfortable around. It's about the fact that we truly have got one another's backs. We truly see the gold in one another's life. Just as God saw the gold in my life, just as God saw the gold in your life, just as God desired to bring you into family because He knew that you were made for a purpose, that you were made for something so much bigger. So those are the two things that I want us to take away. This is what family means. It's a place of belonging and it's a place of mission. Let's do these two things well, church. Because if we do, there's going to be great health, there's going to be great strength in this place. This church was never designed to be a one-man show. It was designed to be a family. And this is the invitation. Be a part of this. Over this month, we've set up a desk for people to um, put down interest on how they can be involved in what we call home base over here, uh, to be a part of a service team, to be part of a crew. Don't see anything on that list that's insignificant. Don't see anything on that list as beneath you. Because when we learn how to do those little things, God shows us you're part of something so much bigger. We've also got a community engagement form that you can also uh, put your name and contact number for, and you can be a part of something bigger. You can be part of Red Frogs. You can be part of uh, all the things that we're doing this year. But my encouragement for you is if you have found a place of belonging, which we really genuinely hope that you have, Maybe the next step for you is to find that mission. Maybe the next step for you is to find an activation for what God has placed in your life. It's to stay connected, to stay committed to this family. One last quick little note. Part of that whole mission thing and that commitment thing. People don't know you if you don't make family gatherings. Right, for Beck's extended family, which is pretty huge, we have family gatherings over Christmas once a year. And every time I go to one of those, I don't remember people's names because it's been a whole year. And let me just tell you, because Beck's not in this room, Beck is terrible at introducing me. <laughs> you know what Beck's like? She loves you, she'll come up, she'll give you a hug, and she'll start talking to you about how your life is going. I'm like the ghost of Christmas past. I'm not even there. And so I don't know people's name, I don't know who they are. It's like, hi, auntie. I don't belong and there's no mission happening. <laughs> Why? Because I'm there once a year. If you are here at family gatherings irregularly, we don't know who you are. We want to, but we don't know you. And a really shocking statistic that most, as the, in the next 50 years, 
the number of people that actually want to be part of church is going to be radically dropping. And the thing that's already happening and the problem that we are as church leaders having to deal with is that people don't see being at church uh, gatherings as important. They'll come every second week, come every third week. And then they wonder why they don't belong and there's no purpose to that. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you're not committed, you don't get those things. And I'm not saying this as a stick to beat you up with, but it's for you to understand. This is the truth of the Bible. This is what the Word of God says. Do not neglect the gathering. Do not neglect the gathering. Now, I know I understand that people have families elsewhere and all of that. I'm not saying that you're not allowed to do that, but your heart is connected to the house and you desire to be there as much as you can. That's something that I'd like to put forward to you. You're not going to experience family in its fullness unless you commit. We can get the band up this morning. This morning, that second bit was a bit of a, come on guys, and I hope that you felt it in a positive way. Um, I've not been mean about it, but I really feel like God's putting his finger on the whole understanding of belonging. And first of all, I want to talk to people who maybe don't understand the whole concept that God will love you before you've done anything for Him. Many of us understand that we only belong when we have done something to deserve that belonging. But when it comes to God, when it comes to God, there's nothing you can do to earn that belonging. If you do, this is what it looks like. It looks like perfection. If you are perfect, then you will deserve to belong. That's how it works. So that one little time that you told that lie 20 years ago means you're not perfect anymore. That is the standard that we are supposed to be living up to. But God knew that we can't live up to that standard. God knew that we would never be able to measure up to the standard of perfection that is demanded in order to be in relationship with Him. So God didn't leave it there. He sent Jesus, His Son, to die on the cross for my sin so that I can be adopted, so that I can belong. That's what this is all about. I don't stand up here as a self-help professional. I stand here because I know that I belong. I don't have to prove anything to you. I know that my God loves me. Why? Because He proved it by dying on the cross for my sin, that even while I was in sin, even while I was unlovable, even while I was uh, with all these problems, while I was born into this corruption, Christ died for me. That's why I belong. And that's why you belong. That's why each and every one of us belong. Not because of what you can give, but because of what He has done for us. There is no pressure on you to perform anymore. There's no pressure. Because Jesus has done everything that is necessary. So this morning, I want to invite people to be able to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to receive this adoption that we spoke about so that you can come to God and say, Jesus, Father, thank you. 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for helping me belong. Thank you for accepting me even when I was unacceptable. So this morning I'm going to count to three. And the count of three, if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you want to be adopted in the family, if you want to find a place to belong, you just have to put your hand up and then your hand down. If I can get everyone just to close your eyes so that this is a private moment for people. I'm going to count to three now. One, two, three. Is there anyone here that wants to invite Jesus into their lives? Fantastic. Great. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I missed the mark, but I thank you for making a way to bring me home. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.